Life Audio. Welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to quiet anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience His freedom. I would love to connect with you online or to speak at your next event. Visit our show notes to learn how to connect with me. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Before I launch into today's discussion, I wanted to invite you to some powerful Lent experiences designed to help you more deeply connect with Christ. The first is hosted by the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast, where beginning February 14th, my team and I will be leading you chronologically on a journey through Christ's death to his resurrection. And for my newsletter subscribers, make sure to visit your subscriber's exclusive folder to download a correlating daily Bible reading plan. Finally, I wanted to invite you to join me on Facebook or Instagram for short inspirational video messages also during Lent that I hope will be especially encouraging for those who've experienced deep soul wounds. You'll find links to my Instagram and Facebook page along with a newsletter sign-up link in the show notes. Before we launch into today's discussion, I'm wondering, do you ever have a conversation where you leave convinced that you made zero sense or where at least you're pretty certain that you didn't sufficiently draw the connection between what was in your brain and what came out your mouth? I do that all the time. And apparently every once in a while, I do that on this show as well. And in fact, I did that just recently when I was recording with today's guest, Stephanie Roussel. And she actually mentioned something to me when we took a pause during our recording. And she's like, hey, I think we should get to this. And I heard her. I agreed. It was a brilliant suggestion. And then I just kind of moved forward. (laughs) And we never actually got the application, which, of course, is very important, right? And so I'm popping back in now to let you know I have inserted some audio from both of us to hopefully bridge some of that gap so that this episode makes a little more sense. And if it doesn't, all I can say is praise God for grace. When we feel anxious or afraid, it's tempting to reach for something, for anything that we think might bring comfort and security. Our jobs, maybe a relationship, our savings account, maybe our ability to plan, to strategize, to fix and achieve. 
And whether we're aware of this or not, our propensity to grasp for all of these false securities reveal that we don't truly believe that God loves us, has good planned for us, and has the power to bring that good to pass. Deep down, we might actually believe the opposite, that he isn't quite as good as he claims, and he won't truly lead us to a life of abundance as Jesus promised in John 10, verse 10. And so we turn to other quote-unquote gods, to modern-day idols that we hope will rescue, sustain, and fulfill us. But this only leaves us standing upon a shaky foundation, which in turn increases our anxiety and fear because it drives us from the only one who really can bring us those things we crave. And to help us dig into this topic, I've invited Stephanie Roussel, host of the Gospel Spice podcast, back on, as she has such great gentle wisdom when it comes to deepening our trust in Christ, experiencing increased relational intimacy with him, and in turn experiencing the peace that comes from that. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming back. Hey, so good to be with you again, dear friend. Stephanie is the founder of Gospel Spice Ministries and the host of the Gospel Spice podcast, where she teaches in-depth Bible studies. Her personal motto is God's glory, our delight. She delights to embrace God's love ever deeper and to share this love with others. She will tell anyone who will listen, there is nothing you can do for God to love you more and nothing you can do for him to love you less. She has lived for her one Lord over the last two decades on three continents, four countries, and five cities through six professional roles. So I got to say, like, if I'm wondering, was that because he was ripping idols from your life or? <laughs> I don't know. That's a very good point. There's this gentle relentlessness that God has, right? Once you tell him, have your way with me, God. Like what I want is more of you. I want your glory to be my delight. Well, you know what? He kind of takes you seriously. He takes you at your word and you do not know the journey, the adventure that is ahead for you. It's a good one because it's like, it's, oh, I loved your introduction, how you were saying identifying our idols is actually God's invitation for us to realize we're not believing in his goodness and therefore an invitation to experience and taste his goodness in fresh ways. I love it because that's exactly what it is. Instead of seeing our challenges like hurdles, we see them as invitations from God. I love your perspective. That's what you do. Come on. You're cheating me. <laughs> well, and, and I think too, for us too, because you and I were talking about this before. And so for people who are listening to us, we certainly don't have it all together. And like I was telling Stephanie, I think the only person who did not have idols, some might call it false securities, was Jesus Christ. All of us have areas where we don't fully yet believe that God is going to be. I, I loved in the last episode you and I recorded, you talked a lot about a chair, sitting on a chair, where we're not certain is, is the chair of Jesus Christ going to hold us. Yeah. And we have to try it. There's, you know, it's not because you're sitting in the chair and it works for you that it's necessarily going to work for me. There's no guarantees. And, and the scary part is we've seen, I literally have a fun story. Oh gosh, talk about an embarrassing moment about not having it all together, girl. A long time ago, we were baby Christians. My husband and I were part of a small church in Paris. So this was, oh, a solid, solid 25 years ago. And we're having our pastor over for dinner. And this is our first apartment. We're newlyweds. And so we literally have, you know, the equivalent of whatever Facebook marketplace was Craigslist 25 years ago. So cheap furniture. That's what we could afford as newlyweds. And our, our pastor comes over for dinner with his wife and we're having dinner sitting around the dining room table and literally, and he was not even a big guy. Literally the chair broke underneath him and he fell to the floor. Talk oh about an embarrassing moment. <laughs> Sometimes 
chairs do not even work. Right. The fear of Jesus always does. And so when it feels like it doesn't, it's probably because we think we've been sitting in this Jesus chair when actually we've probably been sitting in some idle. Good point. Right. So at least that's my experience. I'm still learning. Right. I, like you said, we don't have it all together. I think it takes a lifetime. And, but again, I think Jesus never gives up on us. Praise God. That's a chair you can sit on. He's not going to give up on us. Right. And speaking back to your chair analogy, if you, let's say your entire life, every chair you've ever sat on has failed you, then it would be very challenging. And, and I'm talking failed in big ways, right? Because in, in real life, it's more than falling on your floor, right? There are some things that like some big pain that can happen. And so if you're used to falling a lot from having things you trust in kind of shatter, it's going to be harder. And, and I'm specifically thinking Stephanie, of the ancient Hebrews and when they were kind of just getting to know God and what that might have been like for them. Mm, so good. Such a good point. And I would say even more to your point, and I think the Hebrews proved that as well, and my own life proves it, and I suspect yours does too, is that the problem is with chairs is that they're not always all going to break because if they always broke, then you would learn not to sit on them ever. But some seem like they're actually holding you up for a while. So you never know when you're going to sit into a chair, whether it's going to hold you or not, which is so stressful and anxiety causing. You don't know. And it's like, we are wired to sit on chairs, quote unquote, like we can't be standing all the time. So you're going to have to take your chances with chairs, not really knowing whether it's going to hold or not. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. And ultimately the ones that do, it's a temporary moment until they actually collapse if they're not grounded in Christ. And so, and I think the Hebrews, that's what they were discovering in their relationship with God. They had been sitting on chairs that seemed like they would hold or they thought it would hold. And then maybe God is saying, well, you know, maybe it looks like it's holding right now, but it's not going to hold in the long term. So why don't you move over to this chair, which is my chair? And they're like, no, I'm good and comfy over here. I'm going to stay here. Right. Can you explain for our listeners where they came from before they even encountered this? Yahweh creator God. Right. Oh, that's such a, it's such a beautiful story. So, you know, it all started with one man, Abraham, and then it turned into Abraham had a son who had a son who had 12 sons and that's the 12 tribes. And then this is all before they were sent as slaves to Egypt through, Mo through Joseph. And then they are, um, they go to Egypt for their survival, right? So initially they go to Egypt as a good place that is saving them from famine and starvation and extinction during uh, very perilous times. And they, they spent 400 years in Egypt, give or take. And, uh, 400 years later, it's a whole new generation of people who've been enslaved, and that's all they know. Uh, they are slaves to very harsh masters, and they have become very numerous. God has given them uh, just incredible growth and fertility, so there's a lot of them. And then there's this one man you may have heard of. His name is Moses, and he's a Hebrew kiddo, baby, who is rescued by growing up in the court of Pharaoh. He's adopted by the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and then he eventually escapes to the desert himself and he has this burning bush experience. He's 80 years old, which is not how we picture him at this point, right? He is 80 years old. He's not a spring chicken anymore. And he has what, you know, we're all kind of familiar with the concept of the burning bush or the idea of the, like, it's a familiar thing if we've watched movies or stuff. So the burning bush, this bush that burns without burning. And then Moses comes face to face with God. And then he comes back. That's his calling to come and rescue his people out of Egypt, out of slavery and into what God calls the promised land. It's a, a land 
just a little bit north, uh, northeast of where they are, where God is going to establish his people, Israel, the Hebrews. But first they have to leave Egypt and he's calling Moses as their leader to do that. And so you may be familiar with the story of the 10 plagues and how Moses and Pharaoh just butt heads basically and God wins and eventually they leave Egypt with Pharaoh's permission. And that's the story of the Passover. There's this miraculous deliverance that happens literally overnight where they leave in a hurry and that's the root of our celebration of Easter. So there's so many connections there. And then they find themselves in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And that's where it becomes interesting, doesn't it? Because they have spent their lives in this pagan nation where there's a lot of gods, where actually it's so interesting because the spiritual mindset of the Egyptians is very similar to a lot of very postmodern new age mindsets that are still very prevalent in our culture today, where you're told that basically all these gods, they had a pantheon of gods. And these gods were like the chairs we were talking about, you know, they were not reliable, they were not trustworthy, you never knew whether you were going to sit on the chair of a particular god, and he was giving you going to bring you a blessing or a curse, you never knew it was a Russian roulette, you know, to mixed metaphors. And so that's what they knew. And they hadn't been taught the ways of God. They Most of them had very faint remembrance of the ancient God of Abraham, their if ancestor. That, right? If that, at best. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists. The way we measure time social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Right? right. And, and they were so miserable in their day-to-day grind and survival that they were looking at the Egyptians who seemed to have it made by their standards, and who were following those broken idol gods, fake gods. And so it looks like it was the way forward. And so God has to literally entirely rewire their system. Uh, He has to reboot the computer completely and and completely put on a new software uh, in their brains to completely rewire their relationship with God because they didn't really have a relationship with him at all and also a relationship with one another what's interesting I think we're gonna I hope we can talk about that is that the desert wilderness experience is a community experience for the Israelites it's not an individual thing and I think that tells us a lot in our when we 
put individualism as such an idol in our culture today. All this to say, like they are basically a blank slate when it comes to having to relearn everything in how they approach life. And especially their very real problems of survival, the, the deep fears that they must have had. Right. Even, I would say even not really a blank slate, they're actually kind of on the negative end. Like if you think of, Mm -hmm. we've opened our home to kiddos from really tough places and before they can even begin to open their idea of a potential relationship with us, they usually come in and even those who wanna be with us because it's just this defense mechanism, right? When you have fallen on enough chairs, you have this, this defense mechanism there. They come in with a lot of anger and hostility and what some might refer to as rebellion, but really when you get to know them, it's fear. Really, they want to know, how are you going to respond to my failure, to my anger when I when I don't fit? The, because we all know we're never going to be perfect, right? We're never, even with, that's the beauty of grace, but I'm thinking with. the Hebrews, they had to have those same questions. Okay, this God is so great. Yeah, he's letting us out of Egypt. Wonderful. And maybe in their perspective, because this was also going on where God was dethroning, basically showing powerless all their false gods, right? Like each of the plagues. So in their mind, they could have very easily thought, well, okay, so this was a power struggle between Egypt's gods and Abraham's God and Abraham's God won, but what does that have to do with us? And okay, we're just kind of his bounty. We don't really know what they thought, but again, back to my analogy with the kiddos that have lived with us, it is a very long transition before they are even willing to say, hey, I think I want a relationship with you. And then the hard work comes, right? Yeah. And I, you're so right. It's not a blank slate. You're absolutely right. That was really not the right expression. And and I find interesting your analogy with the kids. And I think that goes back to the Hebrews, to us. In order to know that the chair is going to hold, like if you think of car crash tests, they put the car or chair in extreme conditions. It says the chair can hold up to, I don't know, 400 pounds. Uh, And this is just a made up number. I don't really know. Or like elevators, you know, it's going to have up to 11 people in it. And it's showing the extreme that it can handle because if if the elevator can handle 11 people, it can handle me by myself. But I need to know that the elevator is made for one person. I don't feel as safe as if it's an elevator for 11 people. And same with the chair and same with the car. So I think the kids, they'll take you to extreme cases because they want to test. They want to see, will you still love me even if I behave so poorly that like it's it's I'm pushing your buttons because I want to see how far you can go. And it's interesting because the word exodus in Hebrew, a literal translation would be departure. And so it's the idea of a journey of transformation. You're like at your departure gate, the airport, like you're leaving and you're going somewhere and it's a journey and it's a transformation. And the, the word departure for me, it carries the idea of where you're coming from, which is what you're describing. It also tells me about I'm going somewhere. There's a destination if there's a departure. And then the process in the middle, from where I'm coming from to where I'm going, every step of the process matters. And as I was saying earlier, there's also the concept of community because you don't really depart by yourself. In this case, like the entire nation, or it's never really an individual journey. It's a group journey, even if it's just you and God in some ways, right?
So with all that, we've the, all the background that we laid, now imagine they're at Mount Sinai, which is the mountain that God basically brought them to. And scripture tells us, so Moses, their leader, went up to meet with God. And scripture tells us that there was thunder and lightning and a big cloud descended. So God's visible. We know God is present everywhere all the time, but like God's visible manifest. Oh, and fire, like, right? Like it was, had I been there again on this journey and it's been like two months since they had like a personal encounter with this Yahweh creator God, I think I would have been, okay, now what? It's over. The world is over. He's going to zap us. Something happened. Well, especially because it wasn't the first time he was zapping quote unquote people because two months ago, as they were leaving Egypt, there was, they crossed the Red Sea and they were safe because God opened the way for them to cross on dry land. But then the Egyptians chased after them and God closed the waters on the Egyptians and they died for their protection, for, for the Israelites protection. He zapped the Egyptians. But still, what if he does that to me right now? Uh, what is it going to take? And especially because God pretty clearly says, don't even get close to that mountain. Like, stay away. You, you can't even have your cattle touching it. He's teaching them about his, the fancy word is his holiness. And again, in Hebrew, it's, it's the, he's set apart. He's different. I think that's actually some, one of the main reasons I trust God is because he's different. Because if he was just like me, I'm not sure I would want to trust him. So I find really great encouragement in that. But man, yes, it would be scary. To add to that, Moses, their leader, was gone for 40 days. So they really didn't have, from what I read in scripture, a lot of information. They weren't told like, hey, he's going to be up for this amount of time. Wouldn't that be nice if God was like, you're going to be waiting for this amount of time. And then once your waiting period is over, it's going to be great. And we're going to move on. (laughs) But they didn't have... Yeah, Any of that. And, and it could be that they, even if he had told them, they wouldn't have had the capacity to understand because I think of it when my kids were little and we would go on a trip and we've traveled a lot, like you mentioned. And so like, you know, the, the perennial question, are we there yet? It doesn't actually help them to tell them, no, 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 it's going to be another, another, I don't know, two hours and 45 minutes of a plane ride or whatever. They don't have a framework for it when they're three or four years old. So you say, just trust me, we'll get there when we get there. You can't give them more information than they can handle. Maybe that's what God was doing. But either way, he had them firmly in his grasp. They just we're having a hard time understanding that. And and I think, again, our modern day idols, like you were saying so well at the beginning, whatever it is that we choose to grasp, it's because we can control it. It's like, it feels like I can do something. I'm in charge. And, and God, by being so sparse in the information he provides and by being so foreign and other and set apart and holy all those words he's a way of saying yeah you're not gonna wrap your mind or your your hands around me and that's exactly what i want because that's what's best for you any idol you can wrap your mind or your hands around any anything you can achieve like that it's gonna let you down that chair cannot handle the weight of your soul and your spirit it's gonna take the infinite god to handle that thing and so whether it be all the idols of in no particular order there's money body image sex success and fame there's comfort and ease of life and then there's this idea of a limitless perfect health and some of the symptoms that i've seen or experienced myself are competition comparison 
maybe depression, greed, anger, fear. There's this endless striving, or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, a complete giving up. I think that many of us suffer from idolatry, but we wouldn't be able to actually name it for what it is. And so these symptoms can be kind of the, the key to diagnose this modern day idolatry. And can I say, we're all basically idolaters, at least to some extent. We all have some modern day idols. So it's not something to be ashamed of or something to deny, but it's something to identify so that we can move past it. I think it's basically impossible to live in a culture that promotes all these things and not fall prey to them at least a little bit. Only Jesus was immune to this and, and his culture actually promoted the same things that ours does, maybe with different shapes or different flavors, but it was kind of the same thing. I mean, think of it. Everything around us promotes the ideology that money and the love of it is good, that sex is free and available to all and that hooking up is harmless, that it's even something to be celebrated. Maybe also that a successful life is defined by stellar physical beauty that somehow never fades away. It's a perfect family. It's a perfect, super lucrative job that also happens to be your passion and also happens to give you plenty of time for all the other things in life. And all the while, having all of these things and a lovely, comfortable life with the perfect social circle, right? I mean, who are we kidding? Seriously, it's impossible. And yet somehow there's a part of us that believes that it's true, that it's the modern day dream. And these idols that we're constantly having to fight all around us and inside our own heart, our external culture echoes this internal bent we have towards those things. So that makes it super difficult to fight. At least that's what I'm fighting. And so I check my heart on a regular basis and I ask myself, if I'm spotting anger or fear in my heart, what is the root cause for it? I don't mean that anger or fear are necessarily the telltale sign of an idol, but they can be. I guess it depends what you get angry about and what you fear. Usually I would say that maybe anger and fear reveal themselves in other, maybe more subtle forms. So it's important that we scratch beyond the surface of what we feel and why we feel that way. And then there's other feelings that are more obvious. Like if I find myself comparing to others, then it's most likely that I do suffer from some form of idolatry. So I'll teach myself to look at who I am comparing to. What do they have that I wish I had? Is it beauty? success, wealth, or fame, and then maybe I am making an idol of one of these things. How much time do I spend thinking about money or sex or physical beauty or health or power or comfort, you name it. If it is an inordinate amount of time, then maybe I have cultivated an idol there and I wasn't aware of it. And I'm not going to be journeying towards contentment until I diagnose it first. And then I actively take steps to remove it. I'm reminded in my own life that waiting seasons really have a tendency to reveal those cracks in our faith and those those places where, which is what we're talking about through this whole episode, where we don't fully trust God's God's heart, his plans, his ability, his power to care for us. And that's why they can provide such growth if we will turn to him in our doubts and patiently await his response when he chooses to give it, if he chooses to give it and hold tight, tight to truth. And I have to wonder with myself when I am in those waiting seasons, do I replay all the ways that God has protected me in the past or all, all, all the ways he's provided for me in the past? Or do I maximize my fears until they become all that I can see? And, and how do I typically respond when I'm afraid? Do I turn for to God for comfort and for him 
to lead me or do I go searching for whatever chair I can find? He doesn't allow us to enter mistakes just out of spite. Correct. Like really, he, he allows us to enter mistakes because he knows that they are actually going to on the other side, they're going to be fertilizer. My husband's a gardener. So fertilizer is usually smells bad. It can be <laughs> It's really, there's nothing good about fertilizer, except that it actually promotes growth. And so that's kind of like our tests and trials and waiting times. They can be like fertilizer. They smell bad. They're not fun. But actually, the reason why we apply them to the soil is because it's actually going to help eventually. And and God does that. And he doesn't mind the smell in the process. (laughs) And he doesn't mind when we rant and rave at him either. Although he did say one thing to me at one pivotal point that really helped me kind of shift. I sensed him asking me, do you love me now? And it was a big shift for me. I had to, it was kind of like, I felt like he was like, "Are do you want the blessing or do you want the relationship? And I've had enough early in my marriage, my husband and I were in such a mess and he, he made good money. So we had a lot of the blessing, but we didn't have the relationship and, oh, it was so painful. And when I think of had God, I'm, I'm fast forwarding a bit, but had he allowed the Israelites in their state of distrust to enter into this promised land, this place of blessing without that really a, a more secure relationship with God, how devastating that would have been. Yeah. Yeah. And actually listening to you, I mean, that's exactly what he did with Moses, because if you think of it, so you were saying how Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking with God, the Israelites are waiting down there, having no idea what the timeline is. Like we know it's 40 days, but they don't know one week and then another week and then a third week. Right. And then fourth week and then a fifth week. And it's like, what is going on? Is he dead? I mean, that looks pretty scary up there. Like the, God just strike Moses dead and we're never going to know. Are we going to wait here forever? I mean, these are thoughts they must have had. And these are thoughts we have when we go through the wilderness. It's like, how long is that going to last? And so what they do is that they put all of their gold together and they create a golden calf, an idol that they can control, right? We're familiar with the concept of the golden calf. And so what Moses does when he comes back down, eventually, like he sorts things out a bit. And then what he does is that he he takes the golden calf. So this statue made of pure gold that probably represents a decent amount of their wealth and he literally grinds it to powder mixes it with water and forces them to drink it and then he says okay let's get moving i think the lesson there is first well all of a sudden they don't have that wealth to enter the promised land with so they strip themselves of something that could have been useful like gold to trade and whatever they could do with the money right so now that money is gone they've literally had to digest it which i think is such a symbol of when you ingest something that's wrong for you, like it's not going to sit well with you. I don't know. They must have been sick. It can't possibly be good for you. But I think it probably cured them of ever wanting to do that again. And I think Moses wasn't doing it again out of spite or punishment. He was trying to teach them there's better things. Just don't trust the gold. Trust God. And in English, it's interesting because it's almost the same word, gold and God. In French, it's very different, but in English, it's interesting. And so here Moses, and he's the one who was actually invited by God to enter the promised land and have all of the blessings apart from the relationship with God. In Exodus 33, that's like a key chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture because you see Moses wrestling with basically the idea, am I content with the blessings of God, which is exactly what you were saying, or 
would I rather, if I had to choose between God's blessings and God himself, which would I choose? And actually, it's a really hard question to answer. And I think it takes removing a lot of our idols to get to a place where we actually would choose him. And Moses role models that. And then he gets everything looped in with it. There's another moment just a little bit later. Actually, it's so interesting how compact the story is. It's like God is really having those Israelites learn so many lessons so very quickly and maybe a little too fast for their sake. I don't really know. But like very briefly thereafter, they're literally on the edge of the promised land and God is telling them, okay, like you are going into the promised land. I'm sending you. This is what I want for you. I want you to conquer it. It's going to be yours and it's going to be beautiful. And send spies so that you can kind of scatter out the land. I'm not asking you to send spies to see whether it's a good idea to invade the land. I'm telling you to send spies to gather intel so that you're even more ready to conquer it when the time comes. They choose 12 men, one leader from each tribe. So it's really interesting how leadership plays a role into that. They're sent for 40 days, exactly the same number of days that Moses was up on the mountain. There's a pattern there, right? Come back with incredible fruit. They come back with reports of seeing giants in the land that they were so intimidated by because they say, we seemed like grasshoppers to our own eyes. And I know we know we looked like grasshoppers to them because they were so big. And they were so terrified that they convinced the Israelites not to go into the promised land. And what's interesting is that in Deuteronomy, the same story is told from Moses' perspective. And it sounds like Moses is the one who made the decision to send the spies, whereas Numbers clearly says God told him to do that. And that's interesting because that says that when you do something, there's this balance between what God tells you to do, but also what you feel led to do. There's this communication with God. And so they complain and they literally say, oh, we wish we had stayed in Egypt. We wish we had died in the wilderness. We do not want to go into the promised land because God is going to kill our, our, our wives and our little children are never going to make it. And it's so interesting because the little children are literally the ones that are going to make it in the next generation and they get their wish. That generation that says we wish we could stay in the wilderness, they must have really meant it because God's like, sure, okay, then you're staying in the wilderness. And so that tells me that I want God to do a work in my own heart where I don't want to wish for the wilderness. I want to wish for the promised land, even where there looks like there's giants. I want to get to a place where God has so molded my heart to be in, in accord with his heart that I would rather be afraid to stay in the wilderness in the comfort of my own idols than to move into the promised land, even if there's giants there. Because if God is there, I'd rather be there. And that's so scary to do, right? And again, it's just reminding me a little of my marriage again, back when things were really, really rough. And I was really angry at God that he didn't give me permission to divorce my husband. And I told him, I'm like, God, you just want me to be miserable for the rest of my life. And staying felt hard and uncertain. I didn't know my husband wasn't a Christ follower at the time. And I didn't know he was going to become a Christ follower nor did I know he was going to become my absolute best friend in the whole entire world. And I could have said, whatever, I'm not going to listen to you, God. And I, it's just by his grace, I didn't, because back then I was so spiritually immature and selfish and all of those things. But I knew he didn't want me to divorce. And so I stayed and, and we began to do the hard work. And what he has done, we're coming on 30 years of marriage. Congratulations. Thank wow. you. It's huge. And so just thinking back to if God had given me the desires of my heart, or if I had even just said, I'm not going to, even though I'm like, because I'm afraid, I'm not going to even try the chair. 
then I could have stayed. I, and I don't know where my daughter would be now. Like she grew up in home with, from what she remembers, because God brought us, you know, through a lot of healing and things from what she remembers, parents who were healthy, who were loved one another. So now that we understand the problem with relying on modern day idols, let's talk about what to do about them. I'm reminded of the words of 19th century preacher Dwight L. Moody. He said, quote, before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray him to empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when my heart is turned upside down and everything is turned out that is contrary to God, then the spirit will come just as he did in the the tabernacle. And so there he is referencing how God revealed his manifest presence to the ancient Israelites, literally filling the tabernacle with his glory. And in Psalm 139 verses 23 to 24, ancient Israel's second king, a man named David, known as the man after God's own heart, he said, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We are deceived. We don't know when, we often don't know when we're relying on a false security, when we're turning to a modern day idol, until we find ourselves in a place where that idol has failed or we fear it's going to fail. And so it can be helpful to regularly just ask God, say, Lord, search me, reveal to me places where I don't fully trust you and increase my trust in you. Because as we mentioned before, while those idols, those false securities might placate us in the moment, they leave us feeling wobbly and insecure because we know subconsciously and deep in our soul, we know they don't have the strength to carry us. It is only when our feet are firmly planted in the power, the promises, the truth, and the grace of Jesus Christ that we can stand secure no matter what comes our way. Well, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. Share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.